0: To find out more about the series, please go to uk.
1: The Strange Tales of Virgil Klock. The Urn
2: Chapter three. Thank God, fortune is with us. We must thank the Lord that the Earl has chosen to act for the good of mankind. We may yet get our chance to rid the world of this unholy scourge. Professor
1: Geisel stood behind his cluttered desk. He was pale and his eyes were dark and sunken. He looked ill and clearly had not slept at all. His hands were shaking as he drew on a cigarette and flicked the ash in the
2: approximate direction of an overflowing ashtray. I shall come with you, if you don't mind. I'd like to think of myself as a trusting fellow. And we are lucky that the urn appears to be safe, but sadly, in this affair, we can trust no one. We must... Trust no one.
3: We can manage, Professor, Virgil and I. No, no, no,
2: no, no. I must come with you. If the Earl is as amenable as you say, I'm sure he will not be concerned by my presence. And I am hoping that my companionship will be no more than a minor irritation. Not at all. You would be most welcome,
4: if you are sure.
3: There may be dangers.
1: Professor Geisel reached across his desk and, lifting a pile of books, revealed a wooden box inset with Mother of
2: Pearl. Mr. Kaylock if you would. I lifted the lid. A handgun lay inside. A Webley revolver. Not a sophisticated weapon, but it may prove useful in extremis. I shall keep it about me should things turn sour. We need to be prepared. And also the Lady Vagabond. Annie Renshaw. We do not know who she is or what she wants, or indeed how she has become aware of the urn. I surmise that she is harmless, but her devotion to her master is troubling. We cannot ignore her. Now, if we are to meet James Waverley tonight, we have several hours at our disposal. I suggest that you use the time to rest. Talk to no one. We must keep our counsel. No one at all. Agreed? Yes, absolutely.
3: Yes, but Professor Geisel, I must ask, once we have retrieved the ashes, what
2: then? What then? Then we must make sure that they can never be found by anyone. You can leave that to me. The ashes will be dispersed to the earth, to the air, to the sea. You can rest assured, the vampire will never return.
1: The morning sun was climbing above Hoban as we left the professor's house, and the streets were beginning to fill with life. I felt exhausted and eager for sleep.
0: Oh, I can hardly keep my eyes open.
4: Will you be all right getting home?
3: Yeah, I'll be fine. There are plenty of taxis by now. I'll see you later.
4: Look here, don't come tonight. I can deal with it. I would rather you stayed away from it all.
3: Would you? Well, you think you can deal with the Prince of Darkness on your own, do you? Then again, you do have the assistance of the really old man with a really old gun, I suppose. Hmm. No, no, actually, I think I should probably come along. I'll see you tonight. I'm going home. I just hope that Annie Renshaw isn't waiting for me somewhere.
0: You're right. I'd better come with you. No,
3: I'm fine. I'll see you later. Get some rest.
0: Dorothy,
4: I'm damned sorry about all this mess, but, well, I'm pleased to be sharing it with you, if you know what I mean.
3: You know, it's strange, Virgil, that these things seem to fall on you. I would never have expected life to treat you the way it does. Get some sleep. I'll see you later.
1: I slept badly, the image of the pram and its bloody resident waking me frequently. I woke late in the afternoon, and I grew more nervous as the sun went down, and the day gave way once more to the night. The motor taxi pulled up at Han's place at ten precisely. James Waverley stood on his front steps, waiting for us.
4: Good evening. We'll take my car. We're not stopping here. Right. Thank you,
2: driver.
3: James, this is Professor Geisel. He's a friend.
4: Is he?
2: How do you do? The Professor is fully informed and is here to help us. I am extremely grateful to you. Your courage may save the world from much suffering. We said no one. Sir, I'm only too aware of the situation and the gravity of the task ahead. I must let you know that I understand what we're dealing with. It has been my study for much of my life. I offer you my assistance.
3: The Professor knows more about the vampire than anyone. You can trust him.
4: And who else have you told? No one. No one at all. God knows I want to be free of this affair. I would dearly like to pass the cursed thing on to you, and I was only too pleased to be persuaded last night. But I am a coward and a fool, and I fear I'm making a mistake. I know little about you, and I know nothing at all about your learned friend here.
2: I could tell you much about my studies in this field, my lord. I could assure you of my sincerity in wishing for the final destruction of this evil. I could explain at length how a despicable sickness could spread throughout the world if it is not stopped. But I know that will not help win your trust. I I can only ask, beg, that for the sake of humanity you believe me and my companions Dracula must be destroyed, totally and finally. Very well. Where are we heading?
4: High Wycombe. We are going to the Hellfire Caves.
1: The Earl's motorcar was a Crossley, which was comfortable but cold, and the journey from Knightsbridge to High Wycombe took over two hours.
4: Use the blankets if you're cold.
1: It is a feature of travel that one is often confined, for prolonged periods of time, with unlikely companions. This often leads to insightful conversation and delight. However, the reverse may also be true. In our company, conversation was halting. It was measured and careful. It was wary. There was a tension that politeness could not hide. It was after midnight when we passed through the village of West Wickham to the countryside beyond and drew to a halt.
2: Here we are, finally. But last, although I have to say that was excellent driving, excellent.
1: Waverley left the car to unlock two heavy iron gates and then drew the car into a graveled courtyard lined by high flint walls. The headlamps shone ahead, illuminating the entrance to the caves. It was a folly of pointed arches and empty windows set into the side of a hill. A gothic flint and brick façade that framed the entrance to the caves. A large iron gate. The impression was more of a mausoleum than a castle.
4: It's supposed to look like a ruined abbey.
0: Indeed. It's a very dramatic structure.
4: Oh, yes. It's all theatre here.
3: What does it say above the entrance, the inscription?
4: Fais ce que tu voudras. Do what thou wilt. And do you? By and large, yes. And we have great fun doing it. He drew keys from his pocket and
1: unlocked the gate, which swung open, revealing nothing beyond but cold, damp air and total darkness.
4: Doesn't look appealing, does it? Look, I know the caves. You wait here. It's hidden a fair way in. I'll go in and get it and bring it out to you.
2: Perhaps I should come with you. Really? There's no need. Nevertheless, if you don't mind you sure? Certainly.
3: I think it would probably be a good idea if we all stayed together.
4: You could wait here, Dorothy. What, you
3: want to leave me on my own? No, thank you. We'll, we'll all go together.
2: And I really would like to see inside Mr. Waverley the famous caves. I'm curious. Very well. In that case, you'd better all take a
4: torch. I carry a few in the car.
1: With torches in our hands, we were able to see some way into the tunnel. A long, narrow passage, roughly cut out of
4: chalk and flint. We could have fitted it out with electric light, but I think it destroys the atmosphere. Perhaps I should close the gates behind us. No! Sorry. Would you mind leaving them open? It would be reassuring to know we can get out, after all. All right. Follow me. Careful! It's uneven underfoot. We entered the passageway in single
1: file. I was the last after Dorothy. Though the way was narrow, I was able to stand at my full height. But the Professor was forced to stoop a little.
3: Oh, oh, it's cold. You can feel it as soon as you walk in.
4: It gets colder the deeper you go. Look, I know I don't need to say this, but no wandering off. It's a bit of a labyrinth. There are some stretches of this cave that I've never seen. Follow me. Stick to the main path. Don't get lost. And your Hellfire friends, don't they get lost? They are not explorers, Professor. They come for something quite different. On a club night, candles light the way. You can see the sconces in the wall there. The members follow the candles to the Grand Hall up ahead. It's all quite jolly. The monks. Isn't that what you call them? The monks of Meddenham, that's right. Been known by that name since the days of Sir Francis Dashwood. All sorts of people have been monks and taken this path. Lord Sandwich, Benjamin Franklin. We might be sinners, but we're in good company. And you are the abbot of
2: this jolly brotherhood.
4: Yes, I am. There's no point in mocking us, Professor. You can't mock a mockery. Oh, I wouldn't dream
2: of it. i find it fascinating, really.
1: The cold was accompanied by the sound of dripping water and the smell of decay. There is a strange sensation when going underground, a feeling of claustrophobia, certainly, but there is also a feeling of perversity, of wrongness. We are creatures of the sun, and the world beneath the earth is death. As the dark encroaches, so does the fear. We followed the Earl as the tunnel widened and our torches sought out features in the darkness, columns and corbels carved into the rock. At irregular intervals, we would pass a niche housing a small statue, our torches briefly illuminating an Apollo or Athena or Poseidon surrounded by the stumps of red candles and a flow of hard red wax. After a few minutes, the path passed through an arched doorway, and we emerged into a large room with a high ceiling, where we were hit by the smell of alcohol and candle wax
4: and old sweat. The Grand Hall, our banqueting hall. This is where we meet, where it all happens, as they say. Good Lord!
3: Plenty of room here. Most
1: impressive. There were long tables and benches, Boxes and bottles and the dusty detritus of a forgotten party. Stumps of candles and dripped wax were everywhere. The walls were decorated with paintings, furred and buckling with damp, depicting the more erotic episodes from Greek mythology. And sculptures of Aphrodite, Priapus and Pan filled the many niches around the room.
4: Of course, you're hardly seeing it at its best. I get it decorated for each event, a theme, you know, Greek, Roman, Egyptian, that sort of thing.
2: There seems to be a classical influence to your rebels, Rather odd for abbots and monks, perhaps? If you are suggesting that our philosophy lacks coherence, you are rather
4: missing the point, Professor. Extraordinary.
3: Is it a natural cave?
4: No. All cut by hand 300 years ago. Look, I'm going to light a few of these candles. Nice to see a warm glow on the way back.
3: We're going further?
4: Afraid so. You can wait here if you want. No,
3: no, no, that, that, that's fine.
4: How far does this cave go? It's a bit further in. I've hidden the damn thing pretty well. Beyond this point, is all a bit of a warren. Everyone all right? Shall we continue? Stay close.
1: We set off again, leaving the cavern glowing behind us. The beams from our torches flicked at the walls, revealing passages to the left and right, down which the light dissolved in the impenetrable blackness. I tried to memorize the distinguishing features, carvings, faces, graffiti on the rock, but I knew it was hopeless. We had placed all our trust, our lives, in the hands of James Waverley.
4: A bit of a labyrinth, isn't it? So you came. You can put down breadcrumbs or whatever it is you do.
2: A roll of thread, traditionally. Foolishly, I forgot to bring it here. It's not so hard, really. Just stick to the main path.
3: What's that? I can hear water. It's the
4: Styx. It's an underground river. In the days of Dashwood, it was crossed on a little boat. A peasant staff in it, pretending to be Charon, ready to ferry you to Hades. Unfortunately, we now have a bridge. You'll see. Nearly there.
1: We crossed a small wooden bridge over the fast-flowing water of an underground stream, and after a bewildering set of turns, we arrived in a small, roughly triangular room.
4: The Inner Temple. You are honored. It's out of bounds for club members. The Inner Sanctum. The holiest of holies. We are a quarter of a mile in and deep under Wickham Hill. Journey's end. The bowels of the earth. Not bad for a hiding place.
3: It's here.
4: I certainly hope so. I can I have some light. Just there. Yeah, that's it. Two ticks. We focused our torches
1: on a patch of wall, as Waverley worked at removing a set of bricks exposing
4: another niche and deep in the heart of hell the greatest treasure there it was
1: sitting in a rough hollow the urn a cold sweat formed on my brow it's odd how an inanimate object can project so much malice
4: doesn't look so
2: much does he well it was certainly well hidden yes thank you for your care and discretion lord waverley You've certainly kept it safe. Safe? We need to destroy the bloody thing. That's why I brought you here. Over to you.
4: What do you do with it now? Pitch it to the bottom of the sea?
2: No, perhaps at best if you don't know. Perhaps at best if you'll never know.
4: What the hell?
2: The gunshot
1: tore through the cave. A blast of light and heat and an explosion which seemed to tear my head apart. I found myself cowering on the floor, my ears ringing. I reached out. Dorothy was on the ground next to me. Dorothy, Uh, are you all right? What happened? Finding my torch, I tried to make sense of things. The professor was leaning against the cave wall. He was shaking. The gun in his hand hung limply at his side. Waverly lay motionless. The blood which was pooling by his head seemed in the torchlight to be jet black.
2: My God, I'd rather not do that again. What have you done? He's dead. Are you mad? Give me the gun. Now, now, stay back, back. Stay back. Now listen, if you can still hear me after that. I want you to pass me your torches, do you see? If you try and follow me, I will kill you. Do you understand? Look here, what are you talking about? I'm grateful for your assistance, really I am, but I can take it from here. Your torches, please. you're,
3: You're taking the urn?
2: I am. What? But why?
3: What are you doing, Professor?
2: I am completing my life's work. I am raising the dead. I am restoring the king to his throne. My God.
3: You. The Order of the Dragon.
2: If such an order exists, which I doubt, then yes. I am their keenest member. For all I know, I am the only member. But why? Gods do not visit the world very often. But when they do, we must give them welcome. This is my gift To humanity. What?
3: I trusted you. We all did.
2: Your torches, please, or I will have to fire this gun again. Please don't make me do that. My head is pounding. You
3: can't. You can't want to spread death and destruction.
2: Why? Death and destruction is only the beginning. Your God promises everlasting life. Mine delivers it. Rejoice. For this is the first day of his reign. He will bring light to the world. Sadly, you must remain in the dark. Your torches, please, now. Thank you. And yours, Miss Bell. Now, if you try and follow me, I promise to shoot you. Is that clear? I am most grateful to you, and I'm sorry for the deception. I am really, but be happy. By the time you find your way out, you will emerge into a new world. A changed world. Good luck. You're a fool. He will destroy everything! He will destroy you! We all must die to live again. Even your god tells you that. Good night.
1: As the professor left the chamber and the light of his torch ebbed away, the darkness rushed in like a great wave. A darkness so utterly complete that I felt that I was being buried alive. Panic rose inside me. My breath became shallow. My body froze. And my eyes strained to see. But there was nothing but complete and absolute dark and the weight of the world above us. Although I knew the cave walls were only a few feet away, in that darkness, vast and endless, it may have been infinite space. Reaching out, I found Dorothy's hand and we clung to each other as we listened to the professor's retreating footsteps. And then, Nothing. Silence. Dorothy.
3: We must get out of here. I, I feel like a complete fool. I led him straight to it. So did
1: I. It's not your fault.
3: We're both idiots. We have to stop him.
1: I could no longer see the body of James Waverley, but I felt its presence. I could smell the warm blood on the stone.
3: We must get out or we'll die here. How? Wait, listen, listen. Can you hear the water? The stream? i um, No. Come this way, come this
1: way. Tentatively, we shuffled forward until we found the hard wall of the cave.
3: If we can work our way back to the bridge, then we know we just have to follow the tunnel to the Great Hall.
1: Inching our way forward, we followed the sound of the water. I held tightly to Dorothy with one hand and followed the contours of the rough wall with the other. To be without light is to be without time. And I cannot tell you how long we stumbled through that awful tunnel. Dorothy?
3: Yes?
0: I know this is bad. Um, I know that we're in a mess,
4: but... Uh, well, thank God you're here. Uh, at least we have each other.
3: Virgil, are you being romantic?
4: Um, yes, I suppose so.
3: Well, suppose we just get out of here, alive.
4: I, I just wanted to say... Wait, uh, wh- wait. What was that? What?
3: I can hear something. Laughing, like a woman laughing. Can you hear it?
0: It's, it's just the sound of the water.
3: No, no, there's something else. There, there, can you hear
2: it?
1: A strange staccato laugh echoed through the darkness, faint and far off, incongruous and strange.
4: Yes. Yes, I, I hear
0: it. What in God's name is it? No, it
1: stopped. We continued to listen but could hear no more then moving carefully forward we found the wooden bridge fearing a misstep we crawled on hands and knees the few feet to the other side what what is it
3: something there's something on the ground what oh god what oh it's a it's a body
1: tentatively i reached out cloth a coat a hand still warm searching the pocket i found a torch After complete darkness, the light was a blinding brightness. Professor Geisel? He's dead?
3: He's been stabbed. Look.
0: The urn. Where's the urn?
3: It's not here. It's gone. Wait, did you hear that? Voices? Yes.
0: Yes, I heard it.
1: Come on. With the torches to guide our way, we made swift progress. The strange sounds echoing around the tunnel leading us onwards, until we saw the glow of the great hall ahead. Annie Renshaw sat cross-legged on a large table at the center of the room. By the candlelight, I was able to see that she had the urn in her lap. The seal was broken, the urn was open, and she was lifting handfuls of ashes to her mouth. She choked on the dry dust. And a blackened drool flowed from her mouth <coughs> and onto her yellow dress. I eat
4: of your body and you of mine. I give you life and you can. Uh, life everlasting. Do what that wilt. Take of me what you will.
1: She was eating the ashes, forcing them into her mouth and trying to swallow even as she gagged.
3: Blood is alive. Blood is alive.
4: <laughs>
3: Blood is alive
4: your life. All that is mine is yours.
1: <laughs> Noticing our torchlight on the walls, she looked up and caught sight of us at the cavern's entrance.
3: Bear witness. He will rise.
2: you will rise through me. I am to bear the god. He is mine. He is here. In me. I
1: feel him. Stay. Stay away. Too late. Stop
3: me cannot stop him! He
1: is here! Leaping from the table, Annie Renshaw threw up her hands at us as if she could destroy us with a gesture. Her face smeared with saliva and ashes contorted as pain seared through her body. Lunging to the wall, she found her way to an arch and disappeared into the blackness beyond. Uh,
0: Christ! Annie! Uh, Stop! Annie! Come on!
1: We ran our torches picking out her shape ahead as she followed the twisting tunnel, her body appearing and disappearing from view as the path turned this way and that. The dark seemed to have no effect on her. She ran so fast as if she could see the path ahead as light as day.
0: Annie, wait! Uh
1: I was aware that Dorothy had fallen behind me, but I ran on.
0: Dorothy, stay back. Stay there, I'll catch her.
1: For all my desperation, I could not make ground. But then, abruptly, the end of the tunnel came into view, bright now with the rising sun. Annie Renshaw (laughs) laughed as she burst out of the cave and into the sunshine. The daylight dazzled and I raised my arms to protect my eyes from the glare. Annie Renshaw was dancing in the courtyard, a mad frenzied dance, waving her arms and flicking her hair about her face, Then she stopped abruptly and turned to face me. He is with me now. He is here. I can feel him. He has come. My lord is come. We are as one now. I am he.
3: I am the becoming. I am the lord
1: Dracula. She stood in the center of the courtyard, in the brightness of the morning beaming like a proud expectant mother, caressing her belly and smiling at me, lost in the wonder of her own creation. Another wave of pain crossed her face and she looked down, down at her body, her hands pressed and clutched at the thing that was bulging inside her. She dropped to her knees and fell forward onto the ground, writhing on the gravel, desperate to hold onto her shape as it was pulled and punched from within. Her body bucked and contracted, and then a mighty blow from inside her left her squatting on all fours. Another great spasm, and she went limp. Her form collapsed, and she was dead. But her body was not still. It continued to pulse and stretch as the thing inside her fought to escape. A figure began to form, rising from the tatters of that wasted body, A head and shoulders, a torso and thighs, red with blood, emerging as if from a chrysalis, rising until it stood amongst the gore. It was the figure of a man, tall and straight and… and perfect, even beautiful. The head turned towards me, a mask of blood, and then his eyes opened. Bright blue, eyes which looked directly into mine. Eyes that seemed to know me and see my thoughts, my very soul. He stretched out his arms as if in supplication or perhaps in welcome and he, he smiled. It was, it feels foolish to say so, but I did not feel threatened. Or frightened. He smiled. It was a kind smile, a smile that tells you that there is nothing to fear and that there is no horror to be found in his embrace, only safety, love and everlasting life. It seems absurd to say it, but I wanted to go to him, into that embrace, to dissolve, to unburden my soul, to be born again. I found myself walking towards him. I walked as if in a dream, but my mind was lucid and clear. The world and its contradictions and confusions evaporated, and in its place, a simple, single purpose to be with him. And then those eyes of the purest blue seemed to dim, and a frown formed on that radiant face. His body, glowing red with blood, was turning gray and fading. His graceful movements froze, and fine cracks appeared across his darkening frame. His skin was changing, Losing its composition, flaking and falling like snow. For a brief moment, he stood, arms outstretched like a statue. And then, unable to retain its form, his body collapsed into a million fragments and lay across the gravel, a pile of ash. It was over. The dream had passed. Dracula was destroyed. The rays of the sun had achieved what I could not. For the truth was that the triumph of good over evil was none of my doing. I would have given everything, my life, my soul. I would even have given Dorothy for the promise of an eternity with him. The ashes are safe. They're hidden where none will ever find them. I alone will bear the burden of that secret to my death. But the larger burden is worse, much worse. It is the knowledge that when I stood in that courtyard, I had a choice. At the moment of truth, the moment of my death, I chose evil. I chose Dracula.
0: In Chapter 3, John Ram. Virgil Kaylock was played by Nicholas Bolton. The Young Kaylock, Daniel Fraser. Dorothy Bell, Ellie Turner. Professor Geisel, Hugh Ross. James Waverley, Josh Dillon and Annie Renshaw was played by Sean Weber. The music was composed and performed by Neil Brand. The Strange Tales of Virgil Kaylock is supported using public funding by the National Lottery through Arts Council England. It is produced by Richard Varman, Martin Malone, and John Ram. It is a Kaylock production. To find out more about the series, please go to virgilkaylock.uk.